Hello and welcome to another episode of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we have headed in a different direction with our special guest, chatting with one of the most well-known umpires of the 1990s. Our special guest this week is umpire Peter Carey. Peter umpired a total of 307 games during his 15-year career in the VFL-AFL, having been rewarded with four grand finals, notably the famous 1989 clash between Hawthorne and Geelong. In an open and honest chat, Peter talks about many topics, including umpiring at the suburban grounds, the 1989 grand final, the change from two to three umpires, the mouthiest players he had banter with, and that famous mark in 1999. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with umpire Peter Carey. Peter Carey, thank you for being a part of season number two of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Really appreciate your time and, and jumping on. No worries. Thanks, Trent. Thanks for having me. Peter, what are you doing with yourself now? Obviously, uh, you know, 1999 was when you uh, finished up AFL umpiring. What have you been doing since and, um, you know, what are you doing currently? Yeah, so I, I, when I finished umpiring, I um, I. 2010 joined Basketball Australia looking after the NBL uh, referee panel and then the following year also got the WNBL referee panel and um, yeah that I was there BA for 10 years and then um, the opportunity came back came up to get back to football and I'm now the head of umpire in the Eastern Football Netball League. Ah terrific had you had a background in basketball um, as well as football previously Peter or? Yeah, yeah, no. So I originally was a, a basketball referee, and you know got up fairly high. And then um, there, back then there wasn't a lot of opportunity for young ones coming through the system because there was still a lot of the older, more experienced guys still hanging around. So um, football then became another option. And um, after having the nose broken in the, in the last game of the uh, home and away season, I thought, well, and I didn't even get a free kick, if you don't mind. Um, I, I had a crack. I had a, had a crack at my boss, you know, and um, complained to him all about it. And he said, "Well, you know, if you reckon you can do any better, go down to the VFL because he was a, an ex VFL boundary umpire at the time. Go down there and join up and um, see if you can make a difference." So that's what I did. And you're a bit of a latecomer to umpiring too. Were you mid twenties? I think I read. Yeah, the other yeah, day? 20, yeah, yeah, twenty five. Um, and, and probably the only barrier that I had back then was. I didn't think I could bounce the footing, but as it turned out, I I, I became a reasonable bouncer, and um, yeah, so joined the panel, and uh, I, I was lucky because uh, that was the old VFL reserve grade panel back then, uh, and then the following year they decided to change it to the cadet squad, and if you were over twenty five, you weren't eligible to be in the squad, so that put me in a bit of a dilemma because I was going to be twenty six the next year. Uh, and luckily enough, uh, Bill Deller and um, Matt saw some promise and uh, decided to take a punt and put me up to the senior panel. So that was, I was very lucky. Now, well, your first season in the VFL was 1985, and I think I read um, throughout the week that you had a game early on at Victoria Park. It might have been even your first game, but you also officiated in that infamous match between Geelong and Hawthorne where the Lee Matthews-Neville-Bruns incident occurred. Um, what an introduction for you, mate, for that first year. Yeah, that was – I think that was my eighth game. Um, 
you know, just just running out from the first game at Victoria Park was was special. But that game at um, at Princess Park, yeah, we uh, myself and Doc Robinson, we didn't think we were going to get off the ground. It was that just mayhem everywhere. It was quite amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And what was sort of, uh, you know, being on the field and so forth, I know, had, did you see, you didn't see it, um, you know, what was the, the sort of the discussions and so forth coming from the players on the ground when you when it occurred? Oh, yeah, no, I, I actually saw it. I was 45, 50 metres away because the ball was getting kicked towards uh, to my area. And, and I saw it, but I really didn't believe what I'd seen. Um, and back then, you had to be really particular when you reported a player. You had to, uh, what hand or what arm or and where it connected with, with the opposition player and all that sort of stuff. So, and then the ball got kicked and um, I was I had to play. So I figured, you know what, I saw it, but I'm not quite sure what I saw. And it wasn't until I got home and watched the replay and was confirmed on the replay. That's what I, what I did see, hopefully, was, was exactly that. So was there much of an aftermath for you, you know, after uh, the incident occurred and I guess post the game and so forth? You know, what did you have a fair bit to do with, um, you know, the case and so forth afterwards or? Uh, well, it was, we, it wasn't a, wasn't a tribunal as such. He was charged, the league was charged and the only thing probably our involvement was we had to go to court because he was up on, um, up on charges at yeah. the magistrate's court. So, and he got deregistered, I think. But, and that was their only involvement. Yeah, right. There, there you go. What a what an introduction, as I said. And then, I guess a couple of years later, Peter, um, again Geelong and Hawthorne. You were part of that famous 1989 Grand Final. Um, that must have been a real buzz to be involved in that. You know, we look back now, and it's one of the uh, you know the famous Grand Finals of uh, of years gone by. And uh, you were a part of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny how things work out because the year before. Um, I half expected to get the 88 grand final and I missed out. I was emergency on the bench. Um, and it sort of burnt, burnt really strongly uh, it, it with me and I made a, a really strong effort to train hard and make sure I was thereabouts for the 89. And uh, 88 turned out to be a 96-point whitewash. And, sorry, 88 was. And 89 turned out to be a ripper. So things, things happen for a reason. And obviously the game was so hot in 89 as well. You know, how did you find um, officiating in such a really hot game? I guess, you know, the scene was set early with, you know, the Dermy and the and the Dipper incident and, and all that that uh, was occurring. Ablett was turning it on in the goal square and, um, yeah, there was plenty going on. Yeah, yeah, look, we, none of us saw the Dermy at the start. Uh, I was 15, 20 metres away from Dipper and I saw Ablett coming and I knew what was going to happen. And um, when when the... Impact occurred. I could hear that. You could actually hear the the, um, the air sort of escape from his lungs. Um, so it was there, yeah. but it was it was just a brutal, brutal game. And because there was so much going on, you just really had to concentrate and be, be on your game. And um, yeah, it was just everything was happening. And post game for you, um, yeah, mentally it would have been a, a, a tough one because it was so close. And I guess you know a big crowd at the MCG, and you know obviously. Many variables. Um, after the game, you would have been pretty um, mentally spent, I would have thought, being such the game it was. Yeah, both both Brian and myself, we literally sat in the rooms for, I reckon it was 45 minutes to an hour. None of us said anything and none of us really moved because we were that mentally and physically exhausted. And uh, it wasn't until the director 
Phil Della came in and he just sat down next next to both Brian and myself and he put his arm around us and he said, bloody fantastic. That's all he said. And they're probably the words that you would have loved hearing too, knowing that, you know, you guys have done a great job. Yeah, yep, yep. And that's really, that's all he had to say. So we, we then knew that, um, yeah, we fulfilled our end of the bargain and uh, we were pretty lucky to um, have assisted in um, one of the most memorable grand finals. Can I ask you, in nowadays, I guess, and, and in your job with the Eastern Footy League, no doubt, you know, you're um, we've got videotape and we've got all these this technology that can help um, with game reviews and you guys, you know, reviewing how you went on the weekend. What was the review system like back in the 80s when you first started, obviously with the, the television um, coverage not as expansive as what it is now? Yeah, look, obviously we, we had a, an observer and that's the observer each game and they would, Look at the game, make some notes, come in and see us, give us our report on a Tuesday night, and um, you know they wrote things about match management and positioning and bouncing and all that sort of stuff. So that was pretty much, and it was all done on a piece of paper and you know one on one sort of stuff. Then we get um, with '97 was a whole new change to the system because uh, they got a, a little bit more tech savvy, and uh, they, I think they got RMIT involved and. The whole scoring system changed, and so did the review process. So, what we would do after the game is go back uh, to a hotel or, or in the rooms at Waverley or whatever, and rewatch the whole game from start to finish yeah, straight right. afterwards. Um, so, sometimes that could take an hour and a half. It could sometimes take three hours. Yeah, right. Gee um, whiz. So, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a vast change, I guess, from from early days. Oh, absolutely. It was just uh, now all of a sudden you you didn't get home at 6 o'clock, you got home at 10 o'clock and, and you know, you were exhausted after the game anyway and then you had to sit through the whole game once more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and some of our observers were, you know, were, were funny. They they would stop it and they'd rewind it and they'd rewind it and they'd rewind it. And then you'd, you'd say to them, well, what, what are you looking for? Oh, I saw something. Well, no, if you haven't seen it the second time, you haven't seen it. <laughs> So, oh, you yeah, guys, you, you guys be thinking, just hurry, hurry the hell up. We've just run, you know, fifteen, twenty k, and it's been a really yeah. uh, a big day. We don't need any more of this. No, no. So, um, but that that lasted one year, and uh, and then it got back to uh, got back to normal, which was good. Can I ask you, um, the competition when you first started those first couple of seasons was obviously Victorian-based and then we had West Coast and, and Brisbane come into the competition in 87, obviously Sydney in there as well, and then followed mm. by the Crows and the Dockers and Port Adelaide. From your point of view or perspective, what was it like going from umpiring just in Melbourne to then having to travel and and umpire interstate more regularly did it have an effect on, you know, your occupation, um, obviously, you know, more training involved, um, you know, coming home, all those those sort of variables? Was there much of an effect when, um, I guess, more interstate teams joined the comp? Yeah, look, not really. It's, um, it was it was exciting early days to, you know, to go to Sydney, to go to uh, – sorry, we, we've been to Sydney, obviously. Um, to, go to, to go to Perth, go to Brisbane, that was, you know, all something a little bit different. Um. But again, it's it was accepted as being part of the part of the, what you did. So um, you'd rather be umpiring in the seniors in the state than say doing doing the bush or doing uh, VFA or anything like that. 
So, uh, you know, you just accepted it was all part of it. Yeah, it was tough on the families because you're away quite a, quite a bit. And um, I know my wife, uh, you know, basically brought up three, three kids, you know, with me away free. So, um, but no, look, it, it was good. And um, you, you do it all again. I, I think there's a lot more travel in, in that uh, nowadays, obviously. Uh, but no, it was, it was good. And then during the early years, I guess it was a two-field umpire system, wasn't it, um, during mm. when you started? Then it moved to, to three in 1994. Do you recall the reasons why the change occurred and were you an advocate for it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, the, game, the game with two umpires early when I first started, it was, it was manageable. By the time 1993 came, um, there were games where we just could not, could not keep up. Um, the, the, just the, the skills of the players, the way the, the ball movement was, uh, yeah, it was really, really difficult, and we, we were struggling. So, the bringing in the three umpire system um, certainly prolonged uh, my career because I, I don't think I would have lasted too much longer, you know, through injury and all that sort of stuff. So now it, that, that's probably uh, how and how and where it came in because it was found that we were getting too far away from play because of the speed of it mm. and therefore we, we were missing quite a bit whereas now having three op- operational we're able to stay a lot closer uh, more often so that's probably how it came about. And then obviously what about kilometres wise that would have reduced the amount that you're running and, and and the energy you're exerting so like you know on average what would have you sort of been running when you were doing two um, in the early days and then when three started what were you sort of running on an average then a game? Yeah, look, again, RMIT did all this um, research and, and data and there was a game out at Waverley. I ran 27 kilometres. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and, and, but that was when Waverley was a big ground. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I think once we got the three umpire system, you were averaging probably 14 or 15 kilometres a game. But the dynamics of how you were running had changed because you, you'd have a lot, you were a lot slower with the two umpire, because obviously you have to you know, conserve a lot of energy. Mm. Whereas with the three umpire, you're expected to, uh, you know, when you had to sprint, you had to sprint. Yeah. And you sprinted quite a bit, quite a bit more often. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Mm. Like, yeah, 27 kilometres at Waverley. Geez, you would have had a few uh, lemonades after that just to, <laughs> to to recuperate, I would have thought. Uh, back, in, back in the day, we, were, we had, uh, back in the rooms afterwards, we had six long neck. Uh, uh, VB and uh, and a, a pie That uh, was our recovery. I will tell you what, how times have changed, Peter. Oh, uh, you couldn't, you wouldn't, you couldn't do it now. You <laughs> just wouldn't do it. Yeah. Besides the three umpiring um, system coming in, the games and the rules are always ever evolving. During your time officiating, were there any sort of major rules that were that were implemented that caused an uproar or were questioned by clubs or that you can recall? Um, yeah, there was, there was probably one which didn't last very long where, and I've got to remember if I get this right, if you took a mark in the back line, you weren't allowed to kick backwards. That was, that was a weird one. Uh, and again, it didn't last very long. Um, other than that, look, no, probably the, the prior opportunity one when it first came in. Was it was a difficult one because um, you know we always gave the benefit of the doubt to the guy that had the footy, but with prior opportunity, if you took 
you know, two or three steps or had a chance to handball or whatever and get, get got claimed and the ball got knocked loose, then yeah, that became five opportunity, which in the previous to that we were more inclined to let them play on. So, but, but again, it's, um, you just got to adapt to the rules. If they're the rules and that's how they want it you know, to be umpired, then that's what you have to do. Can I ask you, how do you think you'd go umpiring in the current climate? Obviously, you know, with the number of rule changes we've had over the last couple of seasons and, you know, how do you think you'd, you'd uh, stand up? Oh, yeah. No, look, again, you've um, w- whatever you are asked to do by the league, then that's, that's your job. That's what you've got to do. Now, whether you agree with it or whether you don't agree with it is irrelevant. Uh, you've just got to do it. And um, yeah, I'm not, not not sure how we'd go with the microphones, the American microphones, because we weren't mic'd up back in the day. And uh, obviously there was a bit of banter back and forth between, between player and umpire, which probably wouldn't lend itself too well to a national television today. <laughs> Who was the player that you had the best banter with? <laughs> uh, probably Tony Shaw. Tony Shaw was one. He, he didn't mind giving you a, a bit of a crack. David Rees-Jones is another one. Um, Diesel. Diesel was uh, – actually, with Diesel, it was more one way. <laughs> it, was, it, it was more at us rather than us going back at him because he just wasn't, wasn't listening to something. <laughs> but uh, a lot of characters back in the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. And, and Terry Danaher was always a good one too. Yeah, right. He was, always, he was, he was good, to, good to chat with. Good mix there, that's for sure. Now, I want to ask you, and this question you've probably been asked a million times, but obviously you were part of that famous incident between Frio and St Kilda at Subi in 1999 when Adrian Fletcher was on the wing. He went laterally inside to uh, go into the centre square and uh, number eight for the umpires took a nice chest mark to record his uh, mm. marking stat. Um, tell us a bit mm. about that. What do you recall from the uh, that moment? Yeah, yeah. Um well, I, I certainly didn't expect Fletcher from where he was to kick it in board 90 degrees. I thought straight down the line, you know. So when, when he changed direction, and I, look, even before even before the game started, I was due to do 300 the following week. So I just said to the crew, "Listen, let's just go out there and keep it simple. Don't don't let's have no stuff ups." <laughs> so that didn't go according to plan. So when when he kicked it in boards. Towards the centre, I could sense there was a player behind me. I think it was Jason Norris, I think. And I thought I'm going to get cleaned up here, <laughs> so I sort of half half took my eyes off to see where he might be. And when I turned back, the, the ball was coming. And I don't know what possessed me to just—it was just reactive. Um, yeah, and it just and then the ball stuck, which is more of the point. The centering kick, <laughs> and the mark has been taken by <laughs> Carey. She was a classic chess mark, probably one of the most famous chess marks getting around. Is there a contingency plan with the with umpiring if that does occur? And you know, obviously, it was just an accident. You know, it wasn't uh, on purpose or anything. That you just bounce it from where where the mark was taken. Well, again, your instincts kick in, and um, when I when I took the mark and Gavin Gavin Mitchell uh, tackled me, he said, "Now, now, what are you going to do?" I said, "My God, stuff if I know." <laughs> and I just the only thing I could think of was, well, "You just got to ball it up. You, you, you can't give it. You can't give it to either team because a 
and no one had possession, and there was no guarantee that Fremantle was going to mark it anyway. So yeah. the, the only option you've got, common sense says you just bounce it. Yeah, fantastic. Love it, love it. What about um, from the umpire fraternity? Did you get much, um, you know, tongue-in-cheek from the umpires, your, your teammates, or, um, you know, the, the head honchos? Did they sort of give you a little uh, slap on the wrist with it, or was it all positive? Oh, no, we got back to Melbourne on a Sunday, and there was a, a huge – well, not a huge, but there was quite a quite a um, media contingency with, with cameras and whatnot, and that normally doesn't – well, it never, never did happen when we arrived back from interstate. So that was probably an indicator that um, something was kind of going to happen here. Then I got a phone call while I was watching the Port Adelaide game um, from Rowan Swords. He said, mate, can you come into the office in the morning? We would just want to have a chat. And that normally doesn't happen either. So I got in there and they just, you know, Swabby and Rowan said, listen, Tolo just wants us to have a chat with you, Ian Collins, who was the footy, footy manager back in the day. Just want to have a chat about what happened and why you did it, and all that. And I explained the situation, and they said, uh, "Okay, well, we'll run it past Colo, and we'll see if you're, um, you know, still going to be umpiring for other games next week." And um, you, you got the game. Yeah, and funnily enough, when I was leaving the room, Rowan just patted me on the on the shoulder and just gave me the thumbs up, as if to say, "Yeah, it should be okay." And um, yeah, got the okay a couple of hours later, and um, we had a media conference. Just to you know, say yeah, we're going to do three hundred games, and I got a I got a, an email from Colo. Oh, actually, it was a letter from Colo saying congratulations, three hundred games, and P.S. down the bottom, um, fantastic, Mark, good for the game. <laughs> so, oh. so, yeah, that was good. Hey, Peter, at the end of nineteen ninety nine, you finished up. Um, was there any particular reason why you hung up the boots? Was it just you, you'd had enough, the body had had enough? Um, was it to have more family time? What was your reasons by? Hanging up the boots um, in the AFL. Yeah, look, I I had problems. I'd, I'd had two Achilles operations over the journey, and the Achilles was playing up at the end of eighty, uh, end of ninety eight. Uh, I'd already got life membership, um, you know, including night games and and that. So I was going to give it away, and I was having a chat one time with uh, with Russell Green earlier, and uh, he said one of his goals was just to get three hundred games. Just miss that number next to your name, um, and he said, "If you if you can do it, just have a crack." So I thought, you know what, I've got 16 games to get if I go on in '99. So I'll, I'll have a crack and see what happens. And uh, by the end of the season, yeah, no, I was done. The Achilles were so sore. I was I was on painkillers for games and whatnot. So in the end, the the body just said, "No, you're done." Yeah, well, I'm glad you got to the 300 games. I think what you at 307 in the end, so that was uh, a great achievement. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you: you umpired four grand finals and 24 finals. Grand finals, and you've you umpired some great ones. You know, obviously the 89 grand final. I think you umpired 92 between Geelong and West Coast when the Eagles were the first non-Victorian team to to win the flag. Um, how hard is it to get one? And and what are the selection panel looking for? Especially probably back when. You were doing it. What you know? How do you how do you go to sort of get in contention? Well, I'm not 100 percent sure what what their process was from that from that, but um, it's and I know later on uh, towards towards the end of my career they they rated everyone so that the, the end result was the people that got the best scores during the season got the grand final. Yep. 
Um, I'm not sure how it worked back in our day, but it was all about, um, I suppose they were looking for consistency and performance. Um, that was probably the, the, the main the main thing. And then once you got to the finals, it was then the best performed umpires in the finals. Uh, obviously made it to the last three. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty much based on then the preliminary finals and who got picked out of those. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, I thought it might have been that ranking system. Obviously, you know what rating or that rating system, I should say. So yeah, no, that's um, that's awesome. Between two thousand and five and two thousand and six, um, you served on the AFL match review panel. Gee, that would have been a tough role. I would have at times, obviously, with just the scrutiny we see so much now in in the media. Yes, you know it was good. So it was yeah, two thousand five, two thousand and six. Um, and uh, yeah, no. Look, it was uh, watching watching three games each weekend and just noting down incidents to get vision of. And then you were going on a Monday, and the three of us. There was originally Swabby myself and, uh, and um, McKay, and uh, yeah, we would just look at all the vision, different angles, and um, work out based on the on the matrix whether it was. Uh, whether they were guilty or not. So it was, it was interesting. We had some interesting cases. Any that sort of spring to mind, and you might not want to mention them, but just that, you know, it was sort of, you know, 50-50 on whether penalty was appropriate or whether it was just shy of getting a penalty for an incident? Oh, no, because we, we had the matrix, which which we could go by. So each incident would be graded according to that. And, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty simple process, which we thought. Um, however, when they when the results came out in the media, there was always a heap that said, "Well, these guys got have got no idea. I don't know what they're doing." Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that's that's just all part of it. Yeah. You know? But we, we we think the system you know worked reasonably well. It was pretty transparent, so I, I don't think we had too many issues. Now I've got a few quick questions for you, mate, before we uh, wrap up. Our chat, and I've really enjoyed uh, you know listening to your story, Peter. Mm-hmm. Best umpire or umpires that you've officiated with, like you know, who are the best ones that you loved running around with? Did a lot of games. Probably did the most games with Brian Sheen, a good mate of mine, and um, did a lot with him. Uh, Peter Cameron was another one. Uh, learned a lot from me and Robinson. I think in my first ten games, I might have ran with him four four times. Which, which you know, he, he was the most experienced umpire on the panel, so that was that was very good for my early development. Um, and then, yeah, later on, there was you know the likes of Hayden Kennedy's and uh, Darren Goldspinks and, and, and that like who we all sort of came through the system together. Uh, Andrew Coates was another one. So um, yeah, lots of lots of really good umpires. Yeah, some good names there, yeah, that's for sure. What about the best player you've seen? It's always you know it's a contentious one. You know, there's been over the years we've had so many great players over the last twenty twenty five years. Who was the best that you reckon you've seen? Uh, well, I, I personally think it was Gary Ablett, senior. He was he could do things that were quite phenomenal, you know, and. and then you got your you got your Wayne Careys and uh, I was lucky enough to umpire Lee Matthews at the end of his career and Keith Gregg and Wayne Schimmelbush and Robbie Flower. So some big names there. Um, Tony Lockett, of course, is another one. Jason Dunstall, uh, you, could, you could roll them off. 
It was just it, it was a really good era to be involved with such superstars. Absolutely. Now you've sort of partly answered this, but I'll ask you the end. So the chirpiest player of players, and I think you said Tony Shaw was pretty chirpy. Did I? Mm-hmm. I heard an interview with um, was online that was Andrew Buse was another one that sort of had a bit of chirpiness about him as well from the Cats. Uh, yeah, look, I didn't have too many issues with, with Busey, um, that I can, that I can recall. Um, what, one that springs to mind was, that, um, in my last year, Darren Milburn. <laughs> he, I think it might've been his first game and he it was just, he was spraying me left, right and centre and I couldn't understand why. <laughs> and in the end, I, I just, I just said to Buddha, Buddha Hockey, I said, mate, can you just, who is this kid? What is he? Um, can you just have a chat to him and say, give it a rest? <laughs> um, yeah, the, the other one, I think he's also in his first game, who really cut loose, and I remember it, was uh, Glenn Archer out of Waverley. Yeah, and he, he didn't mind having a bit of a crack um, as well. But <laughs> I, I definitely remember his try that time. It was, it was it was quite decent. <laughs> oh, some good names there. Um, most memorable game that you are officiated in, Peter? There were three that, that spring to mind. Obviously, the 89 grand final we touched on. Um, the other one was the uh, 89 State of Origin, South Australia versus Victoria, which was the first State of Origin game played at the MCG for about 15 years. Yes, yes. Cracking game. Yeah, 93,000. Um, and that was it. But the, I suppose one of the, the more special ones was the State of Origin game in 95, which was Teddy Whitten's lap of honour. Yep. And, um, you know, we go in the rooms before the game uh, to meet the players and the coaches and whatnot. And um, Teddy, Teddy, who was you know, obviously going nearly blind by then, he heard that the umpires were in the room and he, he said, bring the umpires over here. Bring them over. So we came over and he, he, he was sitting down at the time and he stood up. And you could, you could just tell that he just had this glazed look. But he stood up and he grabbed he grabbed the, our hands to shake. And, you know, the legendary handshake from Teddy Whitten. And he tried to squeeze as hard as he could, but he just had, didn't have much there. So we were fortunate enough to have met the great man, you know, on that special occasion. And uh, then we went outside to see his lap of honour. And, yeah, it was quite fearful, to be honest. Yeah, what a what a beautiful moment to be involved in, and I've, I dare say he would have chucked in a little message like just to get the Vicks up or something, did he? Or I, he just said, "Remember, remember where you where you are and where you come from." <laughs> <laughs> so we knew where he was, where he was on about. So yeah, yeah. No, he, he he did have a bit of a quip on that. Yeah, uh, fantastic. What a moment. Um, I mm. want to ask you, do you like the game as it is now? You know, obviously, it's changed so much from when you first started, the way that um, you know, it was probably more attacking and free-flowing, where now it's a lot more um, congested and, and, I guess, uh, stoppages and so forth. You know, Do you like it, the game as it is now? Or? Yeah, look, I don't mind it now, particularly since uh, and I'm a Melbourne supporter, so since the D's got up, yeah, I love the game. Yeah. <laughs> touch, touch wood. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, there was a period there, probably, probably uh, mid two thousands, where it became a possession game, and they chipped it around the flank, around the wing, around the half forward flank, and then tried to centre it. And there was a turnover, and it came back the opposite way, and it was just like circle work, and it, that that wasn't fun to watch. Mm, 
Mm. But no, look, I, I think the game. I think the game now has um, has got back to a really, really good standard. Uh, there's some there's some really exciting games. Um, there's some blowouts, of course, but you get that in any sport. But no, I, I think I think it's in a, it's in a good uh, place at the minute. And this is the last one before we let you go. What was what was it about the nineties that just made it a great decade to be involved in? Oh look, I, I think I think the players the players always make the game, and um, we, there were so many really really good players back then. And we also it was probably the last of the old suburban footy because um, then all of a sudden we're having you know we're having, didn't have any more games Western Oval. Um, yeah, and they were really good to, to go back and umpire at those, at those grounds. I was lucky enough to do the last game at Victoria Park, which was uh, which was also very special. So I think I think that made a that that was probably the the um, what made it such a good decade. Can I just ask you just one last one? What, who, which club gave you the most grief? You know, the supporters. Obviously, you know we know that uh, you know the supporters out there love giving the umpires a bit of a a, uh, a bit of a yell out every now and then. Which which club was the one that used to uh, you know get into you the most? Do you reckon? Uh, look, we had moments at, 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 with all all clubs. Probably probably Richmond were, were the ones that were the most vocal. Um, but then, you know, when when you went to Victoria Park and you came out from underneath the grandstand, the, the spectators there were over the top and they spit at you. Oh. And then you'd go out to, to Princess Park and as you were coming off the ground, the, the police horses would come running out and then they would do their, their business on the ground and supporters would pick up the business and throw it at you. Oh, you're kidding me. Um, I got urinated on at... At Moorabbin, while we were waiting to go out to employ, waiting for the seconds to finish, and he urinated through the uh, through the steel steel cage. So that wasn't great. Um, so yeah, we've 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 had our moments. Gee, that's that's a disgrace, really, isn't it? Like you know, like I know it's a game, and we're all very passionate about it. But to cop that sort of stuff, you know, that would have to that sort of put in your mind that you know, gee, why do I do this if this is going to happen or? Oh no, it, it didn't. It, that didn't enter my mind, anything like that. But it's you know, you look back on it now and you think to yourself, why? Why would they do that? It just just doesn't make any sense. But you know, this, again, that's out of our control. We can't do anything about that. So that's always been my mantra: if I can't control it, I don't worry about it too much. Yeah, I like it, Peter. I like it. And just one last one. Um, you're involved with the uh, the Eastern Footy League, and I know you look after the umpiring side of things there. What uh, what sort of advice would you give anyone that's or the young ones that are looking through coming through the ranks? I know I'm based in Warrnambool, and we've had two great umpires, um, you know, do well at the AFL, um, and in in Sean Ryan, who's been a terrific umpire, and obviously David Harris, who's running around at the moment. Um, you know, what sort of advice would you give the young ones that are wanting to go and take their umpiring to that level? Yeah, look, it's um. I took it up. I took it up because I still I loved um, uh, sorry I loved footy and I, I didn't want to play anymore. So to stay involved in the game, um, I had a crack at umpiring and made a good fist of it. And you know even now I get out um, of a Saturday and just umpire with some of the younger ones in the under 19s. So it's if you enjoy if you enjoy if you enjoy footy um, and you can do start off umpiring and 
still enjoy that aspect of it. There's a terrific pathway, whether you get to the VFL or whether you get to the AFL, it doesn't matter, or if you just get further up the ranks inside the EFNL. Um, and, you know, you're, you're up on some pretty good footy in the EFNL, whichever, whichever game you get, then, um, yeah, make the most of it while you can. Because it, it, is, it, is, it is very enjoyable. Peter Carey, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Thank you for joining us and uh, really love listening to your you reflect on uh, your career in the AFL. No worries, Trent. Thanks for having me on. That's the end of episode number two. If you're wanting to hear previous episodes in season one or last week's chat in season number two, you can jump on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts. You can also keep up to date with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Next week, our guest is a former Geelong Cat who in his early days shared the forward line with the names of Ablett and Billy Brownless. Until then, we'll see you next week.